1: Do not speak ill of the dead.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton and I'm Nadira Goff and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you
1: missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And once again, we are joined by the inimitable Nadira. We are still looking for a permanent co-host. In fact, we actually just posted that job listing. So if you've ever wanted to be trapped in a room with me. As I ramble about copyright and fan works, that opportunity is available. But in the meantime, Nadira continues to be our MVP, our pinch hitter, the love of my life, etc, etc, etc. Nadira, hello. Hey, and also can confirm that being trapped in a room with Rachel is nothing but fun. <laughs> I'm glad that you think so. Not that I sat. Watching you write that in the Google Doc, making sure that you said that. (laughs)
0: Listen,
1: I wouldn't have written it if it wasn't true. (laughs) We don't lie here on this show. I feel like I usually try to start off every guest-hosted episode with a random question, some might say, just to get us warmed up. Mm -hmm. But I kind of struggled coming up with one that fit today's topic. So instead of just trying to make anything be coherent, (laughs) I'm just going to ask you the question— I started asking at parties. You know when the conversation starts dying down a little and you have to like throw in a little bomb? Are you ready? Uh, I mean. (laughs) Perfect answer. Do you think Jesus was canonically hot? (laughs) Rachel.
0: (laughs) Okay, first of all, now which one are we
1: talking about here? We are talking like the historical figure. No, like, no, no,
0: but the the white one or the no, the, no, because okay.
1: he wasn't historically canonically not a white listen, man. Listen, I so just we need are to talk- make sure that we're all no. On the same listen, page. when I say canonically, I mean as the the historical figure Jesus existed. Right? Do you think he was hot? Right? I think he was mid. I'm gonna posit that I think he was mid, but I think Moses was hot. All my prince of oh, Egypt yes. stands
0: stand up. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: <laughs> Yes. No, exactly. I think Jesus was mid but with hot energy. I think he had a lot of charisma.
0: I mean he must have had a lot to do the things that he <laughs> that he allegedly has done.
1: <laughs> Not allegedly.
0: <laughs> Gotta keep it real. Gotta keep it real for the bad. <laughs> you know, we're incorporating all sides. We can't alienate anyone <laughs> here nor there.
1: Well, uh, I will never get over you saying Jesus allegedly did this. <laughs> All right, we're g- we're going to end that there. Yeah, I was about to say, how, how are you going to pivot out of this? We're not going to pivot. <laughs> we're just hard launching into the next subject. <laughs> because today on the show, we're talking about death. <laughs> Expertly done. Expertly done. We're hard launching death on the show. <laughs> Specifically, we're talking about the way we talk about and deal with death online. And I'm sure that anybody who has been online in the past two weeks can guess why this is coming up. Yes, the Queen has died. She is dead. She is currently in a box somewhere making her way through the UK. I don't actually know how the funeral works. Anyway, the surrounding pageantry around her funeral and the ascension of her son Charles has been trending at the top of my feeds since she passed on September 8th. And what seems to be coming up again and again is the kind of consternation of her fans. Does the Queen have fans? Subjects? Cronies? Whatever. When they're confronted with what they perceive as disrespect by, let's say, the Queen's less admiring subjects. Now, despite my love for, like, the Tudors, I'm in and about anti-monarchist, so I wasn't really the least bit surprised when the meme started rolling as soon as we heard that she was in hospice. I was not
0: Either also as an avowed anti monarchist. But what I took issue with is royalists or even people who aren't royalists but just love decorum, shiding those who weren't being entirely sympathetic, mostly because I am also someone who is not a royalist but loves me some decorum, and I did not do this. Because <laughs> I mean, when you think about the legacy of colonialism, it's um, ironic to say the least to try and start policing these people.
1: The very least. I do also love, I love pageantry. Like, Me too. I love drama. So I get it, but also like chill. And this dynamic isn't new, right? There's this instinct that appears online and feels like every single time someone with a heavy air quotes around complicated, complicated legacy dies, where any criticism of them or their actions is kind of deemed verboden as soon as they kick the bucket. But why is that? And where does that demand to not speak ill of the dead come from? Is it really fair to ask for that? Or is it just another exercise in prioritizing civility over fairness? We'll be discussing all of that and more after a short break. Tired
0: of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: And we're back to talk about death, everyone's favorite topic. Uh, Credit where credit is due. Nadir, you came up with today's brilliant episode. I must ask, are you good? What's going on over there? Are you going through a little existential crisis? I mean, no, but
0: <laughs> that actually might not have anything to do with what we're talking about today. <laughs> Listen, as you witnessed, as we all witnessed, the day the queen died, the internet and our work Slack channel, it's like, <laughs> was so full of life. That it was hard to really get any work done. It's true. There were hot takes. There were trash takes. There were. There were old takes and new takes (laughs) abound. But a really big theme of the tweets that I was seeing on my personal feed were anti-monarchist memes and jokes that were then policed by, in my opinion, people who are no fun. Our colleague Natish Power wrote a great piece that synthesizes all of the tweets and the general response to them for Slate. Wonderfully titled, I just have to say, like one of my favorite absolute (laughs) headlines at Slate. (laughs) Quote, let the descendants of Britain's empire have their glee.
1: It's chef's kiss. I know I use it a lot, but I don't think I ever use it hyperbolically because this headline, incredible. I don't know if Natish came up with this or as editor, but like, iconic. I'm going to read a passage from the piece because... As you said, it's a really great distillation of what was going on the day the Queen died and the general vibe of what was going on, on at least my corner of the internet, and Tish's too. The vibe of such tweets shifted dramatically over the course of the day. At first, when news arrived at the Queen's, quote, medical care, simple and snarky tweets abounded, anticipating the official announcement and ensuing fallout. Then, as the clock hit 1.30 p.m. and the royal family officially declared the Queen's death, anti-monarchy tweeters adopted an even more serious tone. They doubled down on their lack of grief and highlighted not only the bloody history of British rule, but the Queen's own role in perpetuating it, whether through history-obscuring initiatives, direct orders for violent military crackdowns on colonial dissents in Yemen, and her other efforts at halting the mass independence movements that took place and succeeded under her reign. Another chef's kiss. And the doubling down caused some drama. Before we go any further, I think we should state... No, one person isn't going to be able to atone for centuries of colonial violence. But the thing is, Miss Ma'am didn't even try. Like, she didn't even try. (laughs) In fact, she actively tried not to try. She tried to sanitize the legacy of the violence of her family. It's more than fair for people directly affected by that violence to be a bit pissed that Elizabeth got to die in comfort and privilege, surrounded by her family and enmeshed in wealth that is not only unimaginable to most people, but is built on that violent legacy. That's the PSA over. And so I think at this point would be remiss not to mention what happened with Uju Anya.
0: So Uju Anya is a Nigerian-American associate languages and linguistics professor at Carnegie Mellon, who, upon the queen's death, tweeted, quote, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating, end quote. Then, of all people, Jeff Bezos who apparently decided this was his moment to take a break from underpaying his employees, union busting, and generally cultivating a baffling amount of wealth, responded on Twitter saying, quote, this is someone supposedly working to make the world better? I don't think so. Wow. End quote. And yeah, I put all my emphasis into that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> The original tweet was removed by Twitter because it apparently violated some of their rules. But some of Professor Anya's responses doubling down still remain, including some, can I say, absolutely bad bitch behavior responses to Bezos. And her final word on the matter also still remains, which is a tweet that states, If anyone expects me to express anything but disdain for the monarch who supervised a government that sponsored the genocide that massacred and displaced half my family and the consequences of which those alive today are still trying to overcome— You can keep wishing upon a star.
1: And I oop, as the kids say. (laughs) I would like to say that Jeffrey Bezos has posted just under 375 tweets in the 14 years he's been on the platform doing some quick math. That's 26 tweets a year. So my man decided to use up one of his two tweets per month to say this. Like... What he doesn't seem to understand is that when the revolution comes, we will be eating him first, so maybe he shouldn't be reminding us of his presence like this. Like, sit down. Shut up. Enjoy your fucking billions of dollars. Absolutely. The swift response to Uju Anya was wild, pronounced wild, to behold if you have been involved in or witnessed any of the cancel culture debate in the past few years because suddenly, suddenly... There's speech that should be suppressed. Speech that can be harmful. Speech that can be violent. Speech that Twitter can take swift action against. Who could have guessed that this was possible? Not me.
0: Cough, Trump cough, but you know.
1: (laughs) And Anya isn't the only person to have their anti-monarchist tweets taken down or dogpiled by a mass of people screaming civility. And it is... Ironic to have a mass of people screaming civility at you. Like, is there not a paradox here? An oxymoron? (laughs) (laughs) And given the fact that most of these anti-monarchist tweets are sent by formerly colonized subjects, it's, like, super fascinating to me to see whose grief and comfort is being prioritized right now. Like, it begs the question of who exactly is experiencing the most harm. Is it the people who, like, love QE2 and have to see some rude tweets? Or is it maybe, I don't know, the victims of colonial violence and subjugation whose cultural artifacts are still sitting in the British Museum? Or, I don't know, if you don't even want to go that far, the people whose surgeries had to be rescheduled because of funeral that their tax dollars are paying for.
0: That part. All of those parts. So one of my favorite tweets in the moment came from Washington Post reporter Eugene Scott, who posed the evergreen question, which was, For the now is not the appropriate time to talk about the negative impact of colonialism crowd, when is the appropriate time to talk about the negative impact of colonialism? And I think that that's where a lot of my frustration of this instant respectability politics policing comes from. Not only is it pretty situational, like you noted, but it also actively plays into two things, the erasure of actual nuanced and complicated histories all in the Frankly, vanity name of protecting the feelings of people who have been protected nearly their whole lives. And also in misunderstanding power dynamics. Like, there's one or two tweets, and then there's ruling a literal dynasty, nay, a dynasty that has colonized people. Not a dynasty. <laughs> a dynasty. <laughs> I feel like I say this once a week. The equivalent of the Library of Alexandria.
1: <laughs> Yes, I do say that once a week, and it is true, but not this time. (laughs) What I'm saying this (laughs) week is there's this way that social media collapses context and power dynamics. Like, the promise of a platform like Twitter, or at least the promise that was sold to us, is that it's an equalizer, right? Like, my tweet can go just as viral as a tweet from the sitting president. Me and Biden are the same, except we're not. Because just because I can tweet like Biden does not mean that I am Biden. And I think we as humans tend to mistake ubiquity and popularity for real power. But a tweet with 100,000 retweets saying, like, death to the queen or whatever is perhaps not nice to read if you love the queen, But it also doesn't wield the same power that Charles now has access to and has had access to for most of his life. Like, we mistake seeing a particular narrative gain traction online as indicative of a shifting power dynamic. It's why the idea that woke teens are trying to destabilize the U.S. with gender theory is so popular, even as we have the oldest sitting Congress we have ever had in the history of this country. And the way
0: that collapse specifically presents itself in terms of, like, the queen dying, is just as you said, conflating tweets from former colonial subjects with the $500 million Charles just inherited tax-free. Like, I'm supposed to have sympathy for Charles because he lost his mom? There are lots of people
1: who have lost their parents. And they can't wipe away their tears with $500 million, you know? am I'll be honest. Some of you might not want to hear this. I don't give a shit, okay? <laughs> there was this viral video that went around. In this video, Charles is sitting at a desk signing some papers. Everything seems to be going normally until he realizes that he's forgotten the date. Is it 12th? Oh god, date. Yes, and he just progressively gets more and more bothered as the pen stops working and then Camilla comes in and then he's just like, oh, God, I hate this. And it was fascinating seeing people be like, that's a grief response, frowny face. We should be more understanding, frowny face. I don't know why I turned into a little boy who loves berries and creams, but <laughs> I guess it goes to show how little I care because, my God, man, you are king of England and you just inherited $500 million tax-free. If my parents die, I'm pretty sure I have to pay taxes on their estate. Like, <laughs> they don't have $500 million <laughs>
0: Now, listen, I'm not saying that I don't necessarily care. I do care. But that argument is so one-sided. So here's my thing. The family of Queen Elizabeth is not the only party grieving in this situation. The victims of the crown, and there are, quite literally, an empire's worth, an empire's generation's worth, Mm -hmm. are also grieving. They are grieving the loss of accountability, respect, respect Reparations, even basic acknowledgement of the harm that they've endured for generations and will continue to endure. Mm -hmm. When we balk at Charles for being dismissive and bratty during his accession ceremony, none of us have to be reminded that he's grieving. We all know he lost his mother, and many of us are aware of what deep grief feels like. And plenty of us, particularly victims of the colonization of the British Empire, weren't afforded the luxury of an unadulterated, messy grief process in public. We still had to go to work. We still had to take care of our families. And we still had to, like, live. And the man can't even clean off his own desk? I mean... Knowing grief is messy is implied in many of these tweets. It just doesn't excuse Charles's behavior.
1: And the thing is, this kind of retconning, it's not even just applicable to the Queen. I mean, it's especially applicable to the Queen because, like, you know, colonialism and imperialism and billions of taxpayer dollars on a funeral while an energy crisis threatens to leave people without heat in the winter. But I can't lie, this whole past two weeks just made me think of how wild it's gonna be online whenever Henry Kissinger finally dies. (laughs) Like, my god, the respectability... gonna come out.
0: Truly no man's land. But don't take our word for it. After a short break, we're going to talk about how this don't speak ill of the dead paradox has presented itself in the aftermath of other famously complicated figures. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well...
1: Hi y'all, if you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one. You'll also be supporting the show. Icymi would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You'll also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Hang Up and Listen, Slate Money, Working, The Waves, Big Mood, Little Mood, so much bonus content. You also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit Slate.com slash ICYMI Plus to sign up. That is Slate.com slash ICYMI Plus. And we're back with more terrible people that have died. As we said before the break, the queen is kind of a special case. You know, there's really only one monarch of the Commonwealth, unless you're, like, Mary Queen of Scots, in which case, maybe there's two. (laughs) But this dynamic we're pointing at, this demand for civility over truth in the aftermath of death, isn't relegated just to the royals. I think one of the people we both thought of as we were preparing for this episode is, I'm so sorry to speak his name, Rush Limbaugh. Right. So, Rush Hudson (laughs) Limbaugh III. Not his whole name. Listen, <laughs> I didn't even know he had a whole name. <laughs> we, we we just, we we got to do it, you know?
0: <laughs> Famously, a conservative radio commentator died in 2021. And there was, if you weren't there and if you don't remember, let's say, well, sympathy was hard to come by. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> and it's so hard to come by because the way I don't miss that man, the I way mean, I'm like, ding dong, the witch is dead. I mean, who among <laughs> us? Well, actually...
0: There were some among us because the conservatives did not like that rotten hell started trending after his death <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> But this man played a large role in spreading disinformation and misinformation to the public by saying things like there was no insurrection on January 6th or when he had the segment called AIDS Update on his show where he would read a list of queer people who had died and quite literally mocked their death. So, I mean, you know, if you can't stand the heat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If
1: you can't stand the heat, then burn in hell. I mean, he pushed the Obama birther narrative. He said that NFL games look like fights between the Bloods and the Crips without the weapons. He repeatedly denied climate change. That man sucked so much ass, like, and not in the fun way. And yet somehow, in the wake of his death, I'm supposed to show decorum? No! Like, there's this phrase that people love to pull out, like, he was somebody's father. She was somebody's grandmother. A person died, and I don't care. I'm glad Rush Limbaugh is dead, and I will be dancing on Henry Kissinger's grave when he finally kicks the bucket. That's not a threat. It's just, you know, some plans I'm making. (laughs) But this conversation does get a bit more complicated when the person who died isn't the monarch of a Imperial society or Rush Limbaugh. Take Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example, notorious RBG, if you will. You know, I I won't actually. I won't. I'm so that was a test, and you pass with flying colors. Stop fucking saying notorious RBG for the sake of like so much clarity, because I do not want anyone to come for me. I largely admire Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She is nowhere near the same as Rush Limbaugh or even the Queen. I mean, for one, she actually had a job. But when she died, I was sad for a lot of reasons. But I have to admit that one of those reasons was that she refused to retire during Obama's term. And thus, Trump got to appoint three Supreme Court judges in a singular term. And my God, has that decision had some far reaching consequences. Roe v. Wade, for instance, and the fact that it no longer exists. And these consequences were brought up a lot in the aftermath of her death. And those consequences were then shouted down in the name of this clean, the nation is mourning narrative. It's just so weird to me that people not only want the freedom to feel the way that they do, which is fair and valid, mourn whomever you want. Like, go, go with God. I don't care. But they also want other people to do the same and then get mad. When we don't? Like, what? The absolute hypocrisy is
0: mind blowing. It's truly mind blowing. But this whole situation reminds me of Washington Post reporter Felicia Sanmez who reminded people on Twitter of the rape allegations against beloved basketball player Kobe Bryant soon after his tragic death in 2020. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, Kobe
0: is a hero to many, to me, to plenty of people that I know. And his death was so sudden and tragic that when Sonmez tweeted a simple link to a 2016 Daily Beast article that discussed the basketball player's 2003 rape allegations, she was met with absolute vitriol, like to the point of death threats. Absolute vitriol. Her tweets were deleted, and The Washington Post actually placed her on administrative leave before other journalists chastised the publication for its lack of support. This is thankfully something that did not happen to Professor Anya at Carnegie Mellon. She was reinstated shortly after. But here's the thing. She was kind of right. I mean, she defended her tweet basically claiming that someone's entire legacy, the good and the bad, is important to remember and consider— We can mourn the loss of our heroes without silencing any potential victims Mm -hmm. in the process, which is something that happens when we claim that people were infallible while they were alive. And this silencing and erasure especially happens when people who push back against the perfect angel post-mortem rhetoric are actively shut down and silenced. What is the message that we're sending to victims of abuse, of assault, Colonialization, slavery, police violence, anti-LGBT lawmaking, and more. People are complicated. So is grief, so is power, fame, fortune,
1: politics, legacy, all of that. We don't need to simplify any of it. I never thought I would ever say this, but this is actually really good Trevor Noah segment from When the Queen Died that I think actually is really instructive. You know what it is most of the time? It's not about respecting the person or what they've done or what they have. In a weird way, it's, it's that people have this strange reverence for fame. You know, it's, it's that a famous person has gone and so everyone must respect them regardless of what the famous person is famous for. You, you can't say to people who have been oppressed by the British crown that they should not in some way, shape or form say whatever they want. First of all, the person's gone, right? It's not like they're crying wherever they are. They're gone. That's the first thing to admit, All right? And secondly, you, you can't expect people to show respect for something they've never respected them. At the end of the day, what I always come back to whenever someone is chastising me, or someone I follow, or just people who look like me for not showing reverence for the queen, or RBG, or Scalia, rest in piss, or whomever, is what happens after someone dies at the hands of police. There's none of this show some respect. There's someone's mother, father, brother. What we get is, he was no angel. Or, well, she shouldn't have been resisting. Or, they committed a crime before. There's all this justification for why we should not be publicly mourning this person. So it's really funny when someone who we know has done bad things or perpetuated bad things, dies, and suddenly it's like, we can't talk about any of that. So funny. Hilarious. Can you hear me laughing? Ha ha!
0: I mean, let's just remember, these are tweets. Just tweets. As you mentioned earlier, Rachel, let's not over-inflate the power of a bunch of people liking a tweet by a professor or whomst ever on Twitter. (laughs) Rather, this is having respect? Yes! These communities could have launched... I don't know, rebellions, wars, forcible requests for actual justice. Lord knows how many times actual countries have politely publicly asked for their treasures back that were literally stolen from them and just chilling up in the damn British Museum. Like this is them being nice. This is them holding their tongue. And since y'all apparently hate violence so much, which that was a joke, you do not. You quite literally condone all types of violence until they're in the name of actual justice. But that's an entirely different conversation. You can't just let someone
1: be mad on Twitter? Like, let bitches be mad on Twitter. It's the only thing we have at this point. Truly. Like, does this conversation change when people stop being mad on Twitter and start doxing people? Yes, but also you can not dox the queen. We all know where she lives. It's Buckingham Palace. It's right there. Speaking of, actually, I have one last question before we sign off. Okay, go ahead. Would you stand in the queue? Bitch,
0: no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> jamaican slash british slash american <laughs> but i got bad knees these like stand for no queen
1: okay i mean one queen beyonce true 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 true, true. <laughs> you
0: call me you call
1: me all right that is the show we'll be back in your feed on saturday so please subscribe it is the best way to never miss news about who has died Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us the best memes you've seen about the queen dying. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader,
0: Rachel Hampton, and Ayanna Angel. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or at Buckingham Palace.
1: door. give me the Emmy. <laughs> Shirley, Ralph, I'm coming for you.
0: When you have a Nadira in your corner, when you have an Ayana in your corner, when you have a Daisy in your corner, when you have a Daniel in your corner.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need.